know if you have the same feeling or the same problem, but I have promo shit everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've done my best to uh regulate that amount, the amount of promo shit that I have. But it it's been tough. <laughs> it's like I found a bag full of bags. <laughs> but they're not like the to- you know like the the convention totes they're like ogo and nike drawstrings and oh like, they're like nice bags they're nice bags so like i can't throw them out because they're nice but at the same time i literally have a bag of bags um back to recording again um okay um but <clears throat> <clears throat> you clear those throats shut up peter <laughs> i just took a drink of water I have my coffee. I'm happy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Real Talk, your one-stop shop for all the latest Hollywood news, trailers, and movie reviews. Uh, I'm your host, Joseph Kaplan. I am here with the mediocre Pito Kosanovich. Oh, damn. Shots fired this time. Uh, we're, we're coming out guns blazing, man. Wow. Uh, but I'll take it. <laughs> the tension, it's it's razor sharp. Uh, hopefully hopefully Julie could keep us separated because the our wonderful moderator and uh, middleman, uh, Julie Chappick, is here as well. Hey, guys. <laughs> okay. I like to say hi to everybody. Yeah. I hope they like it. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hello. You say hi, and then Joe and I just attack each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I'm the peaceful one. You two are fighting. Uh, Again. Yeah, you know, it'd be like that. Uh, this week on Real Talk, we've got a pretty jam-packed episode uh, since we were not here last week. Um, also, quick programming note, uh, as I just think about it to mention right now, we will not be here for the next two weeks. Um for me, it's a very busy August. Uh, I'm gone a lot, so I'm gone the next two weeks. But we will be back uh, on the 26th uh, with a new episode um, after this week. So stay tuned for that. We'll have a lot to talk about then as well. Uh, this week, we will be talking about the latest trailers. Uh, and then we will be talking about Hobbs and Shaw uh, and a couple TV shows and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, and then we've got a bunch of news to get to, so let's get into it. Um, this week, trailers, there are, or the last two weeks, there have been a decent amount of trailers. Um, the highlights include Little Monsters 1917, uh, first trailer for The Irishman, first trailer for The Lighthouse, uh, had some Carnival Row featurettes, uh, Zombieland Double Trap, uh, Double Tap unveiled its first trailer, as as did Jojo Rabbit, Harriet, uh, Weathering With You, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and then we also got a secret trailer for Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet. Um, for those, including Peter, I know Peter mentioned this in, in our little group chat when I uh, said that the, this trailer was uh, secretly debuting in front of Hobbs and Shaw. I uh, was like, didn't they just start filming like two weeks ago or something? And the answer is yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, and this tenant, this secret tenant trailer was like 
just two clips of John David Washington. Uh, one of them, I think he had like a gas mask on or some something. I, I can't remember uh, if it was a gas mask or what, what it was, but he had something on his face and like that was it. And then just the big words, Tenet, uh, and, and you know, of course – the big highlight that it's a Christopher Nolan film because in case you didn't know, Tenet is from Christopher Nolan. <laughs> we'll only be hearing that about 400 more times between now and next, uh, I think, June or July uh, when it comes out. I think uh, July 7th is the date that's coming to mind. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, so, yeah, but that, that, that did secretly uh, surprise people in front of Hobbs and Shaw uh, there's no fanfare for it, and it's still not even online. But um, you know, Christopher Nolan can do whatever, or, or the studio can do whatever they want with uh, with a Christopher Nolan film. Um, the one I'm going to talk about from this list uh, is the film that I've already seen at Cannes, uh, The Lighthouse, uh, which actually it, I saw it at, in Cannes, but it was in the uh, Directors Fortnight, the festival that is that runs concurrent with can it was their big get this year um it's from a24 and robert eggers the director of uh the vich i'm gonna say the vich even though in the trailer a24 clearly said the witch but uh <laughs> we remember that poster it's the vich uh I'm very passionate about this, guys. It's the bitch, damn it. I could uh, not tell. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's it's his first film since The Vich, and uh, it, I like I said, I saw it at Cannes. It's phenomenal. Blew me away. The, and the trailer is incredible. It does. It's it it highlights some of the great moments of the film while still, for those who haven't seen it, uh, keeping the ambiguity level turned up to eleven. So. Check it out. Uh, they, they've got a poster for it, too. Uh, it stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, and it's going to be great because I it was in my top five best films I saw at Cannes, um, and it comes out, I think, in December. Max agrees. It comes out in December. Yeah, Max. <laughs> uh, Julie. Good boy. <laughs> uh, Julie, what are you most excited to see? Um, I'm actually really excited about the Mr. Rogers film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I was a big Mr. Rogers fan when I was a child. And actually in the trailer, um, the person that is doing a profile on Mr. Rogers, I believe that's his wife says, don't ruin my childhood. And that's the first thing like I was really thinking with this movie. I was like, please don't ruin my childhood with this. Um, I have a feeling it's going to be a really good film. I'm excited to see it. Um, it's going to bring back a lot of memories of just being little and, you know, excited when that one came on. There were very few shows that I watched when I was little, and that's one of them that I watched every day. Um, so I'm really excited to see how that um, turns out. I really hope. It'll be good. I think Tom Hanks. I mean, it's Tom Hanks. I love Tom Hanks. I don't know how you guys feel about him, but um, I like him, and I'm excited to see what he does for it. So he's he's America's dad, and I think yeah. it's it's great that he's playing uh, someone else who you know 30 years ago probably would have been widely hailed as America's dad as well. Right. Um, so I think that I I'm a huge fan of that casting. Um, I do think it's kind of odd to me, it just in my in my puny little brain, that uh, we had 
a huge documentary on on uh, Mr. Rogers last year, uh, and Won't You Be My Neighbor, um, that came out and made waves and and was like the shocking, uh, it shockingly didn't receive a an, a nomination for the from the Academy for uh, best documentary because uh, uh-huh. it was widely regarded as the favorite to win the category. Uh, then it wasn't nominated, but um, yeah, just to, like I that that documentary comes out. I think it was the number one best-selling documentary of last year, uh, the top-grossing documentary. Um, and now we are getting a full-fledged film um, that stars Tom Hanks. Just one year later, it's like it's like they knew they knew that now is the time to capitalize on Steve Ro- uh, mm-hmm. Fred Rogers. I was about to say Steve Rogers. That's uh, Wrong, Mr. Rogers. Wrong, wrong Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Although you don't want to disappoint either of them. <laughs> no, no, you don't want to disappoint either one of them. Peter, what are you uh, most excited about from this list? Um, I'm going to go with Jojo Rabbit, um, just because I've been, I, I, I've been excited about it for a while, and uh, it, it just it looks good. It looks weird. It's, 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 so it's, um, it's the new film from Taika Waititi, who directed Thor Ragnarok and uh, What We Do in the Shadows. And he's this weird, offbeat, sometimes kind of dark sense of humor. Um, and it's like, it's it's this boy and Hitler is his imaginary friend. And Hitler is being played by Taika Waititi, who is a Maori man. So he's from New Zealand. And it's just, it's so weird and bizarre. And it's like next level trolling of Hitler. And I'm like, yep. I'm okay with this. And it, it just looks weird and c- kind of like if Taika was kind of a little bit kind of um, uh, you kind of using the style of uh, of uh, Wes Anderson, I kind of felt a little bit. So it was kind of like he was blending their two styles. Um, and I, I liked it. It looks weird and funny. Yes, I got that vibe too. Uh, and I love it. Uh, and, and yeah, it's next level trolling to, to have... Uh... <laughs> to have where td be playing hitler uh i love it i can't wait we get we get so much whitewashing nowadays it's it's awesome to 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 see it go the other way for once mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um and, and his german accent is just hysterical yeah because <laughs> you because like he's doing a german accent but you can still hear his 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 kiwi accent his new zealand accent you can still hear that behind the german accent and i'm like this is great. Yeah, it's this is like hilarious. yeah, it's like intentionally not great. It's it's not a good accent, and it's done intentionally so, and I love it. <laughs> but, so good. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad you picked that one. I'm very stoked about that one as well. Um, and we'll be talking about it again a little bit in, in a little bit because it the it shows up in our news portion uh, for this week. But first, we uh, and by we I mean me are going to talk about Hobbs and Shaw. Actually, sorry, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. I wonder I wonder if they're going to do the same thing for for Tenet. They're going to say like like how Hobbs and Shaw's Fast and Furious presents, it's going to be Christopher Nolan presents Tenet. <laughs> I mean, eventually it's going to cuz just like like at this point Nolan's kind of like the new Kubrick. Like it's yeah. it's just like his name is like that thing where it's like yep high concept stuff just yep. like everyone unlimited loves budget him and yeah basically yeah he does what he wants uh so uh, I think they'll get to that point um, I'm assuming I'm assuming Tenet is a universal product 
um, because that would be the only reason why they dropped a secret trailer uh, in front of Hobbs and Shaw, their other huge franchise. Um, I'm just I'm just spitballing on that, but it, it would make sense. Um, it, and and you know, Universal basically has would have Christopher Nolan and uh, the Fast and Furious franchise as they struggle to keep up with Disney's multimedia conglomerate empire. Um, but anyway, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, and <clears throat> Luke Hobbs and outcast Deckard Shaw form an unlikely alliance when a cybergenetically enhanced villain threatens the future of humanity. Here's a clip. Our target's name is Brixton. He's a ghost. We're gonna need the best trackers in the business. Luke Hobbs. I'm what you call an ice cold can of whoop ass. Career lawman. Always gets his guy. We're gonna need to operate outside the system. Deckard Shaw. I'm what you might call a champagne problem. Rogue former MI6 agent. Doesn't play well with others. If we stand a chance against Brixton, you guys have to work together. No way. This guy's a real ass. <laughs> okay. You love that tease. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Uh, He's so proud of himself. With Shut up, Julie. His He's giggle. so proud. I'm like, so proud. Oh, my gosh. Hey. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't try to bring me down. Julie, you're the one who's supposed to be moderating this, not... Not uh, not making fun of me. <laughs> I'm allowed to agree with Peter once in a while. Egg me on. Egg me on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, this movie's wonderful, and I love it. I went in hoping for a mindless popcorn flick that is over-the-top action with two of the most iconic action stars of this uh, of the 21st century. And that's exactly what we got. And I love it. Uh, I'm so excited. I was smiling like a like a little schoolboy the whole the whole time during this movie from literally from start to finish. It's one over the top set piece after another. Um, the the like insult humor between uh, the rock and Jason Statham is is wonderful. It's hilarious. It, it it had me rolling at points. Their their chemistry is is great, uh, and Vanessa Kirby is also in it as uh, uh, Deckard Shaw's sister Hattie. Um, she's a new um, a new entry or a new star in this franchise, and I love it. She now has firmly planted herself in the. I think, without a doubt, the two best uh, franchises left in Hollywood between uh, Fast and Furious and Mission Impossible. Um, so that's awesome. Um, you're only saying that because you're superhero fatigued. Yeah, well, yeah, it's <laughs> superhero fatigue. What, it's true. Yeah, so Marvel movies are done in my in my brain. But even still, like like Mission Impossible and Fast and Furious are like trying to be these over-the-top franchises, action franchises that are, like, doing things the way they're supposed to be done. Like, like Hobbs and Shaw, you, it, it gives you exactly what you want. It's not something that will 
resonate with you. It's not trying to make be make an important statement on something. No, no, it's it's just trying to be a big stupid action movie. And it succeeds because it's shot the way action movies should be shot. Uh, you get a lot of slow-mo. You get a lot of wide shots. There's no – well, there's some shaky cam. There's some born, born Identity-esque camera mo- movements and shaky cam. But for the most part, they just let these guys be better than everybody else. And just, you know, one one punch from The Rock will send – uh, a, a a little minion, you know, fifty feet because he's essentially a superhero. Um, and Idris Elba is the villain, and he is awesome. I love him so much. Idris Elba is the perfect villain for this franchise, and he <laughs> like he calls himself Black Superman, and he is. He's Black Superman, and <laughs> he's just. So much stronger than everybody else. So much more like, and and you feel that he fights, uh, faces off with Hobbs and Shaw a couple times, and the first time, like a- after you watch uh, Hobbs and Shaw, you, you know, go mow down everybody else in in uh, Brixton, I think is his name, Idris Elba's camp. Uh, then they get to Elba, and he just throws them around like toothpicks and it really gives you that sense of oh geez this guy is yeah he's uh he's 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 black superman he's he's much stronger than every other human being on the planet um and it makes you feel that like the stunts are great uh the cars are great um they it's just it's wonderful the movie's great uh i'd probably give it if i had to go one to ten probably probably an eight and a half solid solid eight and a half there there are still a few things where you just have to really accept that this is a big stupid action movie uh scattered throughout but that's okay like the yeah the the inter between when you're waiting or in between the set pieces you're waiting for the next set piece to happen um but hey when the set piece gets there, it's awesome. So, I give it an eight and a half out of ten. Uh, it's at sixty-seven uh, percent on the tomato meter. Um, so, those people are just the people that didn't like it. They're just wrong. It's they're fine. wrong. Yeah, I'm sure those people that didn't like it were the ones who liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And don't you worry, I'm getting to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But in the meantime. Well, let we're gonna let Peter talk for a little bit. Uh, Peter is, has a couple uh, couple reviews that he wants to dive into. So, uh, even though I would much rather him not speak anymore because uh, I'm mad at him, but uh, we'll let you. I'll, I'll let well, you I'll, speak. I'll let you speak. I, it's fine. You can. <laughs> fair, but I actually like so. So before I get into mine, I actually want to. I, I was. I was. I just, it just popped back into my head while you were doing that whole thing about Hobbs and Shaw, and it was there was a story that the Wall Street Journal broke earlier in the week, and it was basically that the Fast and the Furious actors have like essentially built into their contracts, like they're they're counting punches, and like they have like punch limits for how many punches they can take versus how many they give, because they want like they they want to all come out looking good still and it it was like this hilarious story by the wash by the washer journal i was like this is absurd like that that 
You're in an action movie. Like, you're going to get hit. Like, why are you counting punches to come out looking good? Like, you have, like, they all have to give more punches than they take. Like, Vin Diesel and Jason Statham and uh, The Rock. Like, it's all built into their contracts now. Or they have people on set to, like, it's stupid. I think, it's, I think like, that's They're all hilarious. being big, giant babies. Oh, it's, it is hilarious. But it's yeah. like, come on, guys. And it all started because, like, so, so like Vin Diesel, he's he's like a brawler of a fighter, but Jason Statham is like a quick. He he was an Olympic diver. Like the dude is just like his style is fast and light, and it's like he got mad that Vin Diesel got mad that he was t- taking more hits than um, than Jason Statham or than The Rock, and it's like, dude, it's literally just different fighting styles, and you're still winning. Like, give it up, but no. <laughs> no, I think he, the whole thing is—it's stupid. He's got—he's got to beat the crap out of people with uh with a, these giant wrenches. Um, I go I go back to to Vin Diesel and Jason Statham's fight in uh, Furious Seven, where Vin Diesel's fighting it with with these huge tire wrenches that are like bigger than any normal tire wrench that you would ever see in any situation. Uh, but if, and, well, the and, thing is, it, this is only these are only contracts for the guys. The girls don't care. Of course, the girls. The girls know that if they like have to battle through something, they'll look better. Yeah. So they're taking like a million hits because they know that improve like it improves how badass they are. The guys are like, no, 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 I can't take more than this number of hits. That's all. Yeah. That 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 just proves that they're a bunch of sissies. Yep. Exactly. And hey, I will also say to Hobbs and Shaw's credit, uh, Vanessa Kirby is a boss, and she's treated as such. Uh, she still has a little bit of a hint of a relationship with The Rock that I'm like, all right, come on. But, like, I will just say uh, this hints at my thoughts on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, Vanessa Kirby's character is treated so much better than Margot Robbie's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like, oh, my God, it's night and day different. Uh, And it was... Really, I watched these two films essentially back to back. Like one, I watched one on Wednesday, then I watched the next one on Thursday uh, last week, and it was like, wait. After watching One Spot Time in Hollywood on Wednesday, and then seeing Hobbs and Charlie, like, wait, this is how we, this is this is this is how we're supposed to treat our women in action movies. Like, yeah, she's really really hot, but she could beat the crap out of us with both arms tied behind her back and blindfolded, like. <laughs> She's a she's a boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a line in a uh, in a lonely island uh, of Natalie's rap that I will not utter, but I will just reference here loosely. That is very very uh, on point and and is how we should treat all of our female action stars in 2019. <laughs> but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> go go find that reference. You'll know you'll know it when you hear it. Um, but anyway, Peter, now that I've taken that away from you, we're just, we're, we're actually, I don't think we have any time to talk about your shows, so we'll just, uh, we'll just, no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. All right. What you got, okay. man? <laughs> cool. So, um, I got, I got two shows. They're both animated. Um, one's called, uh, the first one's called Infinity Train. And so, um, Infinity Train, it, it it's only aired, it's like kind of preview pilot episode so far. Um, it was part of this, it's part of this thing that, uh, Cartoon Network does where they'll, essentially like accept um a bunch of like animated shorts from from independent creators or people who have worked on other projects for the studio and then they'll drop it on their on the cartoon network app cartoon website and the cartoon network youtube channel if it it, like the they'll they'll put out a bunch of like 
like independent made things and the most the the projects that have the most views will sometimes get greenlit for actual series. And so back in 2016, um, Cartoon Network dropped a, a like 13 minute short or something for Infinity Train. And it was so awesome. It was so cool and like great. It's it's it, and it got it got a couple million views. And um, then they kind of didn't announce anything for a while. And then last year, 2018, so two years after they they dropped the first short, they announced, yep, we're making a miniseries. So they finally released a trailer um, or they, yeah, they released a trailer at Comic-Con and then uh, they put the first episode out. And so then the, the whole series will be airing essentially um, over the course of like three or four nights starting, I believe this, this coming week. Um, and it's, it's the story of uh, th- this girl named Tulip who is trying to get a camp um, after, after an argument with her, with her parents, she ends up uh, running away and then getting stuck on a train that is infinity train. It's, it's, it, it's got an endless number of cars and each car is like a different, like kind of mini world that she has to navigate and figure out in order to get to the next car. And it just, it's so wonderfully creative and like magical, but also kind of like crazy dark at the same time. And it's, it, it's so good. I, I love it. And so uh, I, th- I think it'll consist of like 10 episodes total. So I, if I'm correct, it will be airing for the entirety of this, of this coming week. Um, like two episodes a day. Um, they're all, they're all really short. They're like fifteen minutes each. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 really hyped about that. And so then the and the first episode that they did that they have put out so far is is really good. Um, then the other series is uh Shira and the Princesses of Power, which is a DreamWorks animated series that airs on Netflix. And this show is a gem. I, I enjoy it. The first, the, it, the first season feels very Y7. It's got a lot of like kind of younger kids humor, um, which is one of the struggles of a lot of kids animated shows. Like the first X number of episodes feel very young, but then if you give them time, they'll, they'll, they'll be allowed to develop and, and mature as they go. So this is the third season and uh, I'm about halfway through it so far, but it's, it's really good. It's going uh, really deep into the, like kind of the myth and the lore of She-Ra that uh, I think was created back in the eighties or something. Um, and it's really good. It's really enjoyable. The animation is, is good. Um, uh, it feels very young. It feels kind of like Steven universe, but different. Um, I enjoy it. I really enjoy it. It's it's a really good series. If if you're a parent looking for things with your kids, uh, I definitely recommend you on the Princess of Power, uh, Infinity Train. Maybe I'm a little unsure about that. I would not necessarily recommend it to small children, but like children, yes. I gotcha. Uh, I appreciate your your moaning about the Y seven rating. That's a very Peter thing to moan about. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, oh, so, those so dang Y seven ratings. Gosh. <laughs> well, okay, okay. So, so Y seven is is the age demographic on, on for for children. Um, so like, so like instead of like PG thirteen or or whatever. So for for television, it's like there's Y seven and then like TV fourteen or something like that, and then TV MA, which is TV mature. And so like that's kind of how they break it down for for television. Um, and I think there's like a, a smaller one. So like for like really like small children, like babies, infants, um. But Y7 series, they can be quite good, like, and often are. So, like, Avatar The Last Airbender or 
the um the recent Voltron series or uh uh Troll Hunters, which is another DreamWorks animated series on Netflix. So like there there are a lot of like really quality series. Just like they start like the first few episodes always feel very that age group because they're trying to attract that that age group and they have to establish a lot of very like easy, basic, familiar things for to attract those kids first. So right. like a lot of the early episodes of these series feel very similar. So like yeah. the first few episodes of She-Ra feel very similar to the first few episodes of like Avatar or Voltron or Trollhunters or uh, Amphibia that I mentioned like a few weeks ago. Like they all feel very similar for the first few episodes, even if their worlds are completely different. It's just because they have to like narratively, they have to kind of establish the same sort of things and be like, yep, we're a kid friendly series. We're doing these things. And so that's just kind of how it is always usually. Um, but now that it's in the third season, like the first season felt very much like that Y7 second season. Like, yeah, it's still for that age group. You still feel it's for that age group, but you can see where the themes in this narrative is starting to become a little more complex and a little more mature. And then that's even more so in this third season. Um, so it still feels very Y7, but it's, it's moved past like the basic like intro stuff and you it's, feel it's where the evolved. story is maturing and developing and evolving yeah. on its own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you're looking for another show that is anything but Y7, uh, as <laughs> a hard TV MA, uh, I'm going through uh, Euphoria right now, uh, which is on HBO, and uh, it is phenomenal. It stars Zendaya, and uh, it's it's a very different role for her, uh, very different role, um, and she nails it. She's showing she's showing off some extreme versatility. Uh, she plays a recovering drug addict uh, on this on this show, and and I I got was attracted to it because um, uh, the critics that that I follow and respect and and value their opinions were all saying that this is the best pulse of our current time uh, for people you know for for teenagers and and you know the uh, the classic coming of age kind of story. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is so topical. It is so, um, the way it's shot, the filmography of it is, is so young and, and invigorating. Um, while the subject matter is inc- incredibly powerful and, uh, and also can be very, it can be a tough watch. Um, but it's, it's wonderful filmmaking, uh, and I really enjoy it. So if you want something, if you're looking for something else that's uh, uh, a little bit more mature, just just a hair bit more mature, uh, check out Euphoria. Um, My animated series, Euphoria. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much the exact opposite end of the spectrum, but <laughs> it'd be like that. Uh, Parents, if you want to watch something after your children have gone to bed, after they watch Infinity Train and She-Ra. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> after the kids go to bed. It's definitely an after the kids go to bed story. Uh, so you can get ready for the part when your kids are going to be teenagers and going through all the same things. Because uh, so, really, I, this, one of the strengths of Euphoria is while, while this, the show... Uh, and this is completely unplanned. I wasn't anticipating talking about this, but I'm watching it right now, and I want to talk about it because it's awesome. Um, right now, I thought we were doing a podcast. Sh- <laughs> anyway, that one was bad. Rude. All rude, right, guys. Well, I have to go watch that now. So rude, Peter aside. Uh, 
No, what, so one of the things that Euphoria does so well is it, uh, while while the story primarily, like the star is Zendaya, uh, and she's playing a recovering drug addict, they're, the other teenagers that are on the show are very diverse. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's a little something, I think there's a character for everyone that everyone will be able to relate to. Um, I kind of, I kind of relate to one of the characters, uh, myself and I definitely didn't do any drugs or anything of that sort, uh, when I was younger or now. So, uh, I, you know, I can't relate to, to what Zendaya struggles beyond the, you know, appreciating how difficult her life is. Um, but yeah, the, the, the diversity of the characters is, is so, it's, it's so good, um, and they're all going through a lot of struggles, you know, trying to grow up. But anyway, <laughs> moving on from that tangent about Euphoria onto the thing that I was going, the film that I, the other film that I saw last week and did not like, uh, I'll just say it right now, did not enjoy it in any way, is the new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So... This film premiered at Cannes the very first day that we were at Cannes. Uh, the first, basically, the first thing we did was uh, we walked down to the Lamel and got to see the star-studded premiere of this film. Uh, and we saw Marco Robbie and and uh, Brad and Leo and and of course Tarantino and uh, Dakota Fanning and Isaac Gonzalez and all these huge stars that are in this film that, that all showed up to this premiere. Uh, but we did not get to see the film at Cannes because uh, it only showed twice and both times was before our accreditation program started. So I saw it for the first time last week. Uh, it, it went wide uh, last weekend um, and uh, made a lot of money. Uh, I think it's Tarantino's best-selling film to date. Uh, a lot of people seem to like it, but I'm not one of those people. Um, I kind of sort of hated it the the further i get away from it the more the issues of this film become uh are become the things that i remember um so i gave it a four out of ten i would say that right now because then i'm going to spend most of my time trashing it and <laughs> and sounding like i did it did not even deserve a four um so first off before we get into the issues of the characters of the film um, the, this film is very much a Quentin Tarantino film. And for those who somehow aren't familiar with the so-called godfather of indie films, uh, Quentin Tarantino himself, he is known for having scenes go on and on and on and on. Characters keep talking and talking and really they'll, they'll talk about things that are completely unimportant, um, and, and have nothing to do with the story. Uh, Quentin Tarantino loves his MacGuffins, um, and these scenes just will keep going. But in something like a film like *Inglorious Bastards*, uh, or *The Hateful Eight, uh, or *Pulp Fiction*, there's it's it's super tense. Uh, also, *Django Unchained* would fall into that category, um, and *Kill Bill*. Uh, they're very and *Reservoir Dogs*. Almost all of his films. So <laughs> just, all of his films except almost. this one. Well, not Jackie Brown either, uh, but like there's there's super tense in the in these droned out sequences because like you never know someone could just like pull out a gun and shoot up the whole place at any moment. 
and oftentimes at some point or another they do um, in, in his films. Um, but here, there's no tension. So when a, a scene goes on for 15 minutes longer than it should, at least to me, I'm getting bored wondering when we're going to go on to the next thing because I know that, that what Al Pacino and Leonardo DiCaprio are talking about are not is is not going to service the story in any way um so that's that's frustrating like like despite having i think one of the most iconic pairings of recent memory between leo and brad like how it took this long for two of hollywood's most recognizable stars to do a film together is incredible um and it's awesome to see them on screen at the same time and most of this film is the two of them uh, whether it be you know individually or together on screen, uh, and I loved it when they were on screen and being together and doing just you know like almost like a buddy cop comedy kind of kind of routine, um, almost not quite but like kind of in that in that sense, um, and then the scene would just keep going and it would just keep going and the Quentin Tarantino aspects of it would just get amplified and amplified and I would be like, oh my God, we need to move on. <laughs> we need to get to the next scene. <laughs> this film is two hours and 41 minutes long and it could have been like one hour and 41 minutes long. Um, so that was frustrating. And then the then there are issues with the characters, particularly Sharon Tate. Margot Robbie, poor Margot Robbie, is the subject of a horrific and disgusting male gaze in this film. Like the the film spends more time checking her out and like having these really uncomfortable like bottom to top shots of a topless Margot Robbie for who's topless for some strange reason, um, and then having her talk. It's like it's infuriating to me that her she's treated the way that she is and this is coming from a director in quentin tarantino who is best friends with harvey weinstein and uh uma thurman famously like well after the me too movement was in full force came out and said this guy is was kind of a kind of a dick on set and made me do things on the set of kill bill that i didn't want to do and uh like for a guy who and, and Tarantino, who skirted by the Me Too movement, uh, by the by the the skin on his chinny chin chin, to have this be his first, uh, like his his first big film uh, after Harvey Weinstein gets gets taken down and everything, like it's not a great look. I mean, it's really not. There's no woman who gets any major part in this film. Uh, Sharon Tate is kind of sort of a MacGuffin um, as a whole. Uh, Her character doesn't really service the rest of the story um, in any capacity. Um, She, the one major scene that she gets is the scene in the trailer where she goes up and like goes and watches a movie of herself. And that's like two hours into the movie. Uh, And that's like the first time that she has any sort of quote unquote meaningful dialogue. Uh, is wait I'll, so just yeah. question yeah does does her does her entire story arc just like confuse the rest of the film like could you have just taken out everything everything with Margot Robbie and the film would have been better like not saying that Margot Robbie's a bad actress or anything it's just like her her line was just a confusing storyline or like didn't yeah. really make sense or fit with the rest of the story kind of 
given given that this this film is about the man is is loosely about the Charles Manson murders uh and Sharon Tate famously was the uh actress who was murdered by Charles Manson and his you know his cult um so she ser- she's services the story in that aspect but that's like that comes up at the end of the film and before that she's she has nothing to do like absolutely nothing to do um she has that one scene where she goes and watches a movie a movie of herself and like that's it and if that scene honestly felt tacked on uh when like people were coming up and early on and saying hey there's no women in this film uh and then they were like oh we should just throw in an extra scene uh of of to give to give a woman a chance to actually say something because otherwise they're like squeaky dakota fanning's character she has one scene uh pussycat margaret uh, quayley's character has one essentially one scene and it only services the men uh well uh, uh dakota fanning's character same thing uh squeaky only services the men as well um and like that's it uh there's there's a a young woman uh uh, Trudy, played by Julia Butters, uh, I think like an eight-year-old actress, uh, and she's probably she probably has the most meaningful line for for a woman in the whole film, and like it too is just there to service the men. Like it's it's very frustrating, uh, and that doesn't even get into the whole thing with Bruce Lee uh, and and how Bruce Lee's character was treated um, and and almost mocked in this film. By uh by Tarantino and like Bruce Lee's family, his, his daughter is not. Happy. Yeah, yeah, they're not happy, and that's not good. When when the uh when like the entire family of Bruce Lee is like, this is not. It's not great. This is not. No, no, you're wrong. Um, it's not great. <laughs> but it is still like that. Said the all the frustrating stuff aside, the reason why I only gave it a four rather than a lower score is because. Leo and Brad are great. It's very nostalgia driven. Uh, no other director besides maybe like Christopher Nolan could could shut down Sunset Boulevard and, and completely revert it back to a 1960s uh, era uh, with the the buildings and everything, and then give us all these wonderful shots going down Sunset Boulevard uh, throughout the film. Um, they sh- they've definitely milked that set design. Uh, this is a I, I it's surefire nominee for production design. I would kind of be shocked if it doesn't win. I mean, I know it's early still, but it's hard for me to to think that there's going to be another film that comes out in the next six months that capitalizes on this a nostalgia of classic Hollywood as well as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, <laughs> and that'll be a big factor. Uh, so I, I, the production design is very apparent. It's very obvious. And uh, so I think it's a pretty surefire winner for that. And honestly, and frankly, I hope that's the only thing it wins because the rest of this movie sucks. And well, yeah. <laughs> g- g- no, g- g- given, given that, I have a question for you. And I guess uh, Julie can chime in if she wants to. Um, 
So Tarantino has been famous that he's he'll he'll only make ten movies, um, or he'll only direct ten movies, and so this is his ninth, if if I'm correct. Yes. So so he, that means he has one more film. What do you think that means for his next film? Uh, like, do you think he's going to continue to be? Because because my my opinion is that like as good as his movies still have been, they've got they've definitely gone downhill since Pulp Fiction. Like. They've gotten much, much more self congratulatory and yep. self indulgent, and like, like I, I think I think parts of Inglorious Bastards are brilliant, and other parts are fine. I think Django is supremely overrated. I uh, admired certain aspects of the Hateful Eight, but just like overall, it wasn't as good as it should have been or could have been. And then like you describing this, it's like it, there's definitely a downward trajectory. So like, do you think he's going to? try and change and adapt for his last film or do you think no. he's just going to be like nah I'm going to be more self con- like self congratulatory yeah. like do you think, think do you see a change or do you think nope. it's just like nope he's too stuck in his ways and it's going to be what it is Yeah I do not see any change coming for for Tarantino I think he's going to lean into his uh into tar- his Tarantinoisms even more uh in his 10th and sub- supposedly final film because i think those are the things that have like irritated me more than anything else in his films because it's like pulp fiction i thought was brilliant but then it's just like he was like ah yes let me lean into like these weird unique things that people highlight as mine and then those are the things that end up making the films not as good for me anymore yeah and that's completely fair that that that's how you feel i i actually come from it uh from a perspective that i enjoy when tarantino goes full tarantino uh usually this is really the first film uh, that I have been bothered by it. Uh, and I think one of the big reasons is because of the, the, the tension that you feel. And, and there, there's, there are a couple scenes here, uh, that do, uh, go into that tense feeling. At one point, one of one of the characters visits Charles Manson's like ranch or whatever, you know, where, where his cult was, was staying and like that scene is super tense because it's like, oh my god, you know this. He does he does do tense really well. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's why that's why for me the hateful eight. Uh, I wasn't bugged by the hateful eight because that that one was full Tarantino. But like that whole film, you know, at any point everyone could have gotten could have gone up in flames. Uh, and so that that tension was there from start to finish, and it's just not. The, the Manson stuff here is more or less like an afterthought for a large portion of the film, which is fine. This is really about Leo and Brad and their uh, – so Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth and their their relationship and their friendship and how you know the adversity they face and overcome and all that fun stuff. Uh, and you know, that's great when it's Leo and Brad. Um, like, like this movie would have a, a even lower score for me if that was anyone other than Leo and Brad together. Um, I mean, even like if it was Al Pacino and and someone. Um, That's I just, fair. I mean, yeah. uh, they they like, make it. They Leo and Brad make this film bearable. Um, but it just, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't feel the tension, and so then I just I kind of. The the Tarantino isms, the self indulgence became distracting for me. That's that that's that's fair. For, for me for me, one of the biggest issues I had with the Hateful Eight was um was that they basically just used Jennifer Jason Lee as a punching bag for the entire movie. 
Yeah. They're like, ah, yes, let's curse at her. Ah, yes, let's bloody her up. Ah, yes, let's just use her as a punching bag for the entire film. And I'm like, uh, but, but why? Like, but she, yeah, least, the, she, she had a great moment towards the end, didn't she? I mean, she had I'm one trying, great moment, yeah. but otherwise she was just a punching bag. Well, Margot Robbie. Julie, Julie, what do you think? Or sorry, <laughs> unless you were going to say something about Margot Robbie. Well, Margot Robbie didn't have any great moment at any point where she got to like be a boss or something so <laughs> yeah she didn't get that she didn't get that same treatment but yeah julie do you, what, what did you think not to uh, uh about the treatment of, of these characters i don't know if you're familiar with with like films or, like or kind of like the question or, or, the, or the question yeah. that i threw out of like do you think tarantino is going to lean into himself or like change for his last film so i 100 percent believe that he is going to go full tarantino into his 10th and final final um in quotes i was about to say did you air quote (laughs) yeah i definitely air quoted um that because honestly i don't think it'll be his last i would be surprised if it's if it's his last i think maybe he's going to go full tarantino into the 10th and then maybe branches off into another maybe he branches off into another style or you know what i mean Maybe he goes in a different direction. Who knows? I, I could be wrong. But he is going to go full Tarantino. It is going to be bloody. You know, he's going to he's gonna maximize everything he can out of it, I believe. Um, will everybody go see it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is... This, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is his highest grossing film to date. So, yeah, yeah the 10th film will definitely make even more. I mean, everybody will go see it. A lot of people will love it. A lot of people will say they expected more. You know what I mean? Not everybody's going to be happy with the outcome of what it turns into be. Um, will I go see it? Probably. Um, yeah, I'm still going to go see it too. I mean, you kind of, kind of have to. I, I use that uh, Godfather of indie films kind of loosely, but at the same time. I, I can't think of another director who is more uh, would deserve that title more. So whenever he releases mm-hmm. a new film, you got to go see it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's that's what it is, is, you know, you go to see his movies knowing what you're getting into. I mean, Inglorious Bastards, there were parts where I had to look away because it was just gross. But at the same time, I knew what I was getting into, so it is what it is. I think he's just going to go full Tarantino. It's just going to be crazy movie. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, it'll be what it is. I think it'll still be kind of the same where, you know, it kind of feeds towards more the male audience. And and that's fine. Um, that's how he's always been, though. So... Yeah, I was I was hoping that he would update himself a little bit um, after after the whole Harvey Weinstein uh, after all of that and mm-hmm. and how people were like the, there were all these reports that yeah Tarantino knew exactly what Harvey was doing and he just didn't care um, so not a good look for him and then to treat his female character like this like like Hobbs and Shaw also gears. It also is heavily appealing to men. I mean, there's, right. there's yeah. I mean, I think I saw that sixty percent of the ticket buyers for Hobbs and Shaw were men. Um, mm-hmm. And once upon a time, I mean, Tarantino films do too. But like Hobbs and Shaw, 
yes, the male gaze is there. Yes, we get our obligatory butt shots at you know random points in the film. They go to a club or something at one point, and there are butt shots. Uh, but it, it, it's amazing how much better Hobbs and Shaw treats its female characters uh, than um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That doesn't mean that they treat their female characters great by any means. Uh, Isaac Gonzalez and Hobbs and Shaw is essentially only there to service uh, Shaw, uh, Jason Statham's character, uh, which kind of sucks because Isaac Gonzalez is a freaking boss. um, And I wish she had been in this film more. But then they do Vanessa Kirby and they do her really shockingly well that she's this pretty fleshed out character with with her own set of motivations and she's a boss and gets the chance to be a boss. And like that just never happens for Margot Robbie for, for Sharon Tate's character and uh, in once upon a time in Hollywood that just, we never see that. Um, And it's just frustrating to me. That's like, come on, man, you've got this, you've got like one of the three biggest female movie stars on the planet right now and Margot Robbie to go along with, you know, two of the three or four most recognizable male uh, movie stars on the planet right now. And, and she's nothing more than eye candy. Yeah, and she's nothing more mm-hmm. than eye candy. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, ugh, yeah. Well, then I, then I got one more question before we can, I, I guess, like, if, unless you're done. But uh, the, the other question I had was, um, what are your thoughts then that this film was released on the anniversary of Sharon Tate's death? Jeez, did you okay. know that or did you not? No, know that? I did not know that. I, I did not. I, know didn't that. Know that. I didn't know that either. Obviously, this film was released on the anniversary of Sharon Tate's death, and personally, I think it's that's really tasteless. Tacky. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, and especially with what happens at the end. Um, can we do a spoiler? Can we do spoilers for the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or do you guys want me to avoid spoilers? <laughs> It's your I mean, show, dude. I don't care. Well, I'm you're, ask- you're welcome to it. Okay. I've, All right. Pro- I haven't seen it yet, but I probably will will see it. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, just to give you an idea of how tasteless that is. Spoiler. This is the ending of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Spoiler. Okay. So skip ahead if you don't want to listen to the spoilers of it. Uh, this film is loosely based on the Charles Manson murders. At the end of the film... The Manson people, come, like the the cult, comes in, and you're thinking, oh, you know, they're gonna go and they're gonna go in and shoot up and kill everybody. Um, they don't. They go in. They go to Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth's house, which is not Sharon Tate's house. Her house is next door, uh, I might add. And uh, Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton kill them. Like then the the Manson murders, rather than the murder Manson killing the stars, the stars kill the Manson people. And it's it, it makes it like, okay, once upon a time in Hollywood, I get it, once upon a time. But, like, you combine that with your shit, the shit, like, it meant they never went to Sharon Tate's house. She had absolutely nothing to do with the main story. She That's why she's a MacGuffin. She's just there. And, like... Oh, my God, that's the most irritating MacGuffin now. now yeah. I don't even want to see the movie. Right? I know. I'm sorry. It's so infuriating. It's, it is. It's so... It's genuinely infuriating, and it makes me... That's why, as soon as you said that, I, I got even more pissed. Now my number's lower, because they're... That's... All that is is just trying to appeal to what you know about this murder, and it never actually happens, and she's fine. Uh, she's completely fine. She gets... They they invite Rick Dalton up to, like, hang out at, at, at her at her house um 
right after like after the murder after after they kill the Manson people uh and like that's that that that's her final that's like the end of the film is him walking into into her house <laughs> like that's just like you know what what the hell guys like what are we doing why why is she even here other than to make you think oh you know they're going to all die and then and then it doesn't happen um it's very it's very frustrating um also clever bit of uh, uh editing in the trailer uh in the trailer it, it it heavily applies that uh leo's character dalton is saying oh what are the odds who do i got next door to, li- living next door to me sharon tate and like yeah it makes you think that that's what he says that's not what he says uh he is amazed that he's living next door to the person that sharon tate is living with who happens to be Roman Polanski? <laughs> let that one. Let let let's just. Okay, I'm done with this movie. <laughs> yeah, let that simmer with you for a second. Uh, and, and that's and that's who Leo is freaking out over. Who he's living next door to? Not Sharon Tate. Roman Polanski. And you know he hasn't done anything. To the audience members who don't know who Roman Polanski is, just Google his name. Anyway. We are now almost an hour into this recording, uh, and we haven't even talked about the news. So we're just going to try and fly through this. Um, <laughs> Max agrees. Uh, first, first off, Peter, uh, you've you've got a uh, bit of an editor's note to make f- up for from last week, right? Actually, for a few weeks, I think probably. Yeah. So, so I, I need to apologize to the audience. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I've been kind of confusing. Um, a Marvel property and a DC property. So last, I guess two weeks ago when, when we were discussing um, or when I was reading through all the, all the Comic-Con um, stuff that happened, I was like, ah, yes, the Marvel film, the Eternals that got a new director. Cause it's no longer Ava DuVernay. That's wrong. Ava DuVernay is directing the new gods for DC. Um, and she has not left the project. She is still on that project. That's I'm, I'm dumb. Um, the Eternals is both both properties were written by Jack Kirby when he was kind of jumping between the studios. They're very similar, which is why if you look at the Eternals and you look at the New Gods, they have a lot of similarities in terms of characters and why Thanos and Darkseid are like, ah, yes, you're the same thing, just in different stu- in a different studio. Um, so that yeah, so they're very they're very similar, and I'm pretty sure over the few over a few episodes, I was confusing casting things. I was like, ah, yes, the new gods is looking at casting these people. No, that was the Eternals looking at casting those people, and then Ava DuVernay is working new gods. So, okay, the Eternals is Marvel. It was announced to Comic Con. They have a whole cast. They have a director. That's all set. Okay, that's one thing. And the new gods is over at DC, and that is Ava DuVernay, and. Tim King, I believe, is the other writer that she has hired to work with her. But they don't have any casting news for that, other than Ava has teased that at least one actor from When They See Us will 99% sure get a role in that film. But there's no official casting otherwise for the new gods, just Ava and the writer Tim King, and then The Eternals has a director and cast and a release date. And that's over at Marvel. Okay, so those are the things that I've been confusing them for no real reason other than my brain is dumb. How could you, Peter? How could you? I am so disappointed. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So now, now we're just gonna f- uh, kind of hit the tidbits of the major news over the past week. Uh, just gonna fly through this as quickly as like we can. Uh, first off, uh, also on the uh, superhero front, uh, Kevin Conroy was cast as the older Bruce Wayne 
in uh, Arrowver- Arrowverse crossover event on the CW. Uh, he he voiced Batman in Batman the Animated Series, uh, one of the more famous Batman properties. Uh, how how long ago was that? Is that a '90s or my th- or is that even earlier than? I feel like it's. Ooh, it was, it was earlier. Between yeah. 1990 and 1992 are the dates that come to my head because it came after after Batman 1989, which was the Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. Um, it, but it used the same theme music. Uh, they used the same um, Danny Boyle. No, not Danny Boyle. Um, Danny Elfman. Uh, they used the same Danny Elfman score for, for both things. Um, and I know that this, this year is the 20th anniversary of Batman Beyond. So it's... So Batman the Animated Series is pushing 30. All right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, man, that makes me feel old. Uh, right. <laughs> um, also, I'm pretty sure I'm older than both of you guys. That's, that's I just true. I just want to point it out. Unfortunately. No, it's, it's not true. No, no, Peter's the oldest one of all of us. Um, <laughs> Am I? No, you're not. No, but you're we're really just, not. <laughs> but we're going to say that you are. Um, also, in casting news... Uh, Joss Whedon's The Nevers uh, at HBO announced its cast, which is uh, notably led by Nick Frost, Ben Chaplin, Laura Donnelly, and Amy Manson. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh, have followed Amy Pascal and signed a first-look deal with Universal. Um, let's see what other casting are new. Oh, uh, Luca Guadagnino uh, is in talks to helm the new lord of the flies adaption for warner brothers that's pretty cool uh, correct me him. if i'm wrong but that's gonna be an all-girl adaptation right i hope so i believe so yeah, that'd be awesome yeah, i'm pretty sure he's gender swapping the entire thing so yeah it's be girls yep. to the guys yeah that's awesome cannot wait uh and luca guadino is phenomenal for those that don't know he directed suspiria and uh call me by your name amongst other things those are his two most recent films um and this would be his next film after those two uh, though we, we're getting a sequel to Call Me by Your Name, um, they're they're before they're before sunsetting this the, that property, which I'm very excited about. Um, I think they're going to be Call Me by My Name. <laughs> get out! <laughs> 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 all right, all right, get out. Okay, um, let's see what other things. Um, other, I think that's the only other bit of casting news that we've got. Um, Paper, Paper Girls comic book by Brian Vaughn is getting a streaming service adaptation for Amazon, uh, over over at Amazon. Um, Vaughn is known for Why the Last Man and Saga. Uh, Both of which have famously been unable to adapt into film or television so far, although they've been tried to about eight times each. <laughs> um, they're teaming up with uh, Legendary Entertainment and uh, Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's studio for the uh, adaptation. So that's cool. Um, HBO Max uh, came out that they're getting uh, the streaming rights for uh, all new Doctor Who episodes. That's mm-hmm. a good get for HBO Max, the new streaming platform, uh, or the upcoming. They're, they've got that, and they've also they're going to get all of Friends, right? Or they're getting some big sitcom from the '90s. I think it's Friends that they're going to get all episodes of too. Um, I honestly cannot remember. Yeah, there's there's too many of these. Um, 13 Reasons Why was renewed for its fourth and final season on Netflix. Um, I don't, I don't know about y'all. I don't really have any desire to watch 13 Reasons Why, uh, given how it glorifies suicide and has, it's, it's a very touchy subject, very hard to straddle that line of 
you know, glorifying versus, um, I guess, commemorating and, and trying to and sorrow and be harrowing. But I don't think 13 Reasons Why has done a good job uh, with that line. I, I thought they did a good job of the first season. I thought the first season was well done for the most part, and I appreciated what they were trying to do, even if there were some problematic moments. But then the fact that they brought it back for more seasons, that's when it became glorifying for me. I'm like, okay, cool. You did it. Like, you, did a, you, did a, you did a good one season. Stop. <laughs> like, it should have been a miniseries, and that's it. And then yeah. they kept going. I'm like, ah, now you're doing a cash grab. Now you're glorifying. Now it's real disgusting. So like, yeah. I, I get yeah. issues with the first season, even though my personal, like, I, I thought the production value was high. I thought the acting, the acting was done exceptionally well. I thought the directing was good. So I, I get, I, I get issues with the first season. I thought the first season was made well and with a general good intention. Anything after that, I, I can't support. Yeah. Um, also, fast color is going to be adapted into an Amazon streaming series, uh, which is awesome. We talked about Fast Color on this very podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, or several episodes ago. months ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, I think that was an early, that was like the first or second episode of our podcast uh, because it made no money at all. But now it's um, uh, being turned into an Amazon streaming series, which is awesome. Um, very excited for that, and I look forward to watching it because uh, it made no money, and I'm glad that the studio, uh, the studio system, is still salvaging it uh, after it was essentially it was buried, right? Like that, it received no marketing and no. Uh, yeah, it had yeah. no marketing. Yeah, yeah. So like made, there, there was not a single post for it in all of LA, and it's like that's, right, that's yeah. a lot of crap. Yeah. Um, let's see. We also have some upcoming uh, film festival news. Um, Noah Baumbach's uh, The Marriage Story is tapped for the New York Film Festival centerpiece selection. Uh, it, it will not be – it will be making its North American premiere uh, at the New York Film Festival, I think, or it's making its uh, Amer- USA premiere. <laughs> These festivals are wild, especially between Venice, New York Film Festival, and TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival. You get all these really like in-depth asterisks. So like – uh, at TIFF announced films like Joker, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Hustlers, Ford v. Ferrari, The Goldfinch, The Two Popes, Just Mercy, and Jojo Rabbit are all going to be at TIFF. Some of them are making their North American premiere. Some of them are making their Canadian premiere. And some of them are making their world premiere. It just depends on whether the films – like I'm pretty sure Joker is going – is starting at Venice. Um so Joker is making its North American premiere. It's just, it's really, I, I find it funny. Uh, I, I guess I guess I'm the only one who finds it funny, but that's fine. That's cool. Um, also, <laughs> you should know Peter's not going to laugh at you. I uh, know. Uh, the Irishman. I, I didn't. I didn't hear the joke in it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just. I think it's funny how they. No, you know what? I'm not gonna. You just have to listen to the episode to uh, find the joke in it again. Uh, the viewers... No, no, I heard what you said. I didn't hear a joke. Oh, well, the viewers found it funny. That's all I need. That, that's the that's the validation I need. <laughs> At least that I tell myself. Um, they weren't go... laughing. They are now because you two are ridiculous. Yeah, we pretty much are. Woo. Um, <laughs> life goals. Friendship goals. Um, also, the Irishman will open New York Film Festival. Uh, that I'm pretty sure is going to be its premiere, its world premiere. Um, that is, of course, Martin Scorsese's upcoming film. Um, 
so that is exciting. Uh, I mentioned some of the announcements out of TIFF. Um, TIFF, for those that don't know anything about how Hollywood works, I guess, uh, <laughs> or how the, the Oscars work, uh, TIFF is usually the first big festival that, that has a pretty accurate pulse on what will, what will and will not hold through award season, what will have water, what won't have water. Um, so like, for example, First Man from last year, Damien Chazelle's uh, uh, biopic on um, Neil Armstrong uh, sizzled. It, it didn't really uh, gain traction, kind of kind of fizzled out at, uh, at TIFF and just really could never recover after that in the uh, uh, pulse of award season last year. And then only got nominated for like three things. But of course, uh, I have to remind myself that it happened. Uh, the film that won the audience award last year at uh, Toronto International Film Festival was Green Book. And that was the first time that it won any sort of award uh, at a festival. Uh, and people were like, whoa, what's this film? What What's going on here? And then, of course, unfortunately, it won Best Picture. Um Keep an eye. We'll we'll talk about whatever film wins the audience award because that award has been one of the. What was that? That's the police. Is that outside of my apartment or? They're out for you, Joe. Uh, yeah, they're here. <laughs> quick, quick, hide your kids. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, that brought me back like eight years. I was just like, hide your kids, hide yeah. your wife, hide your kids, hide your wife. I'm like in my head. I was like, ah, got classic youtube reference right there i'll be here all night hopefully well, and that also brought me back to like and this is just a me and joe joke that also brought me back to when Ch when chad had that adapter for the pet band and then we got to play in pet band i was like yes it's the greatest thing <laughs> yep yep uh good times um anyway i'm keeping that part in for for the record uh <laughs> let's hope chad listens yeah 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 woo um yeah you the whatever wins the audience award tiff has a pretty good track record of going on to at least be nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I think like nine of the last ten years, the film that's won the Audience Award at TIFF has been nominated for Best Picture, and like three or four of those times it won Best Picture, uh, including last year with uh, Green Book. So it is, it's a very good, uh, long story short, it's a very good festival to uh, w follow to see what will be talked about throughout award season. And so a lot of these films, uh, like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, 4V Ferrari, The Goldfinch, uh, Judy, uh, even Joker. Joker's making a ploy to be a, uh, a, a, an Oscar heavyweight this year. Um, so, and we'll see what, what gets uh, positively received at TIFF tend to, tends to stay uh, for the, for the next, four months in our consciousness um and where whereas things that don't get received as well will fade like like first man um also coming to tiff it will be judy parasite and pain and glory the none of those films will be making their premieres or any really any sort of premiere of note at tiff uh they're just going to be in the festival uh parasite of course won palm d'or at can and pain and glory premiered at can as well um, Parasite is Bong Jong Ho's new film that I think will almost certainly win Best Foreign Film. Uh, Bong Joon Ho. Bong Joon Ho. Yep. 
that's thanks thanks for correcting me peter what would i do without you um (laughs) and yeah judy's the judy garland uh biopic and pain and glory is the new uh almodovar film uh you want to correct me on that one too peter uh, I'm not sure what name you even said. Yeah, I think that's how you say his name. It's a very confusing name. I was terrified to even try pronounce it. Uh, but it's the one that stars Antonio Banderas um, that won the actor award for Banderas at, at Cannes. Um, yeah, Al- Almodovar, I think is how you say his name. Pedro Al- Almodovar. Um, I'm just going to own it. That's that's how you say it. Uh, Pain and Glory. Um, so that'll be at TIFF as well. All hate mail needs to go straight to you. If you're saying it wrong, yeah. just you. Yeah, straight. We'll straight. just forward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Peter will be on top of it. Oh, yep. Yeah, yeah, Peter will be very on top of that. <laughs> yep. Anything I receive is just going right to Joe. Just forward. Uh, yeah. Thanks, man. Um, let's see. What other news? Um, we got a couple of frustrating things to talk about. Um, that Well, yeah. Well, I think that's it. That's the only things left. Oh, well, one uh, sad day for Woodstock 50, uh, which was officially canceled this past week. Uh, I know it's music, but it was supposed to be this huge free music festival in the vein of the classic Woodstock Fest from 50 years ago. This is the 50-year anniversary of Woodstock, hence the name Woodstock 50, very on the nose. Uh, but it was finally canceled because it's not <laughs> it's not doing so hot. It, it could get a venue, and it's just a whole lot of things. But the uh, musicians are going to be happy. They're still getting paid. Uh, so... They're going to make millions and millions of dollars for not showing up um, and and performing in the crapshoot that was going to be Woodstock 50 had it gone had it actually happened. Um, so sad day there, not so sad day. <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey came out from under his rock and immediately made us wish that he had just stayed under his rock. Um, he made his first appearance since being acquitted of all charges. Uh, on those technicalities that we had discussed a couple weeks, a couple episodes ago, um, like back in July. Um, and in his first appearance, he recited a poem uh, about a boxer that was like very on the nose about himself uh, at a museum in in Rome. And like with without any fanfare, he just kind of showed up and all of a sudden he was there. Like no one knew what was going to happen until he, it was already happening. Um very very weird um very weird appearance but it's clear that he is trying to resuscitate his image and and um, he needs to not he needs to just stop he needs to stop but uh, yeah for real i mean it's 2019 we're really seeing i feel like we're seeing a rubber band effect um with with people being accused of sexual harassment and just being allowed to continue what they're doing. Uh, case in point, uh, CBS is keeping Bowl, uh, one of its more well-known shows, because, and the direct quote is from their from the showrunner is it's a popular show, uh, and that is despite. Uh, numerous sexual harassment allegations against its lead, its star, uh, Michael Weatherly. Um, so yeah, we've we've now reached this point where multiple people can accuse someone, uh, a prominent white male, of sexual harassment, and where you know the white male receives very little repercussions because quote their property is quote unquote a popular show. 
So it's just I'm, I'm a little nervous that that Hollywood is going to timidly bring ba- bring Kevin Spacey back um, a, a, at some point, um, at any point, and literally any point is too soon for Kevin Spacey um, to try and become relevant again. Um, do you all have any thoughts on any of this that you would like to share? I kind of feel like we're pretty in line on this, but yeah. My, my only thought is that the, the only difference between Spacey and Weatherly is that one is accused of harassment, the other is accused of assault. Um, I, that, that's really the only difference. Like both are, both are shitty. Like Bull should definitely not be on the air anymore. But part of me almost understands the showrunner like a tiny bit. I don't agree with the showrunner, but I'm hearing the slight difference. It's still shitty. I don't agree with it, but that's yeah. my only other thought. Yeah, there. You're right. You're absolutely right. There is a bit of a difference between uh, Spacey and Weatherly specifically. Um, yeah, uh, Spacey had like multiple people accuse him of of straight sexual assault. Um, but yeah, I I still think I still wish we lived in a world where if like you know if you're if you're a, a white male and you do something stupid something crappy and treat women poorly you shouldn't be relevant like it's as simple as that like you've michael weatherly he's fine he could get he could get thrown off the show off of bowl and uh i mean go and go and go to his little private island and live comfortably the rest of his life like he he he's fine the women that he uh harassed not so much and now they've come out and they've said what they've wanted to say against him and have seen hollywood just you know shrug like sorry he's too he's too prominent we can't do anything about it and it's very depressing to me um but that's that's 2019 for you folks uh julie do you have anything uh that you would like to add about this or really any of the other points Peter, same goes for you, because otherwise we're we're about wrapped up. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, I think you, I think we line up very well on a lot of this stuff. So I don't have too much to put towards it. Um, there is a difference between the two, um, with the what they're accused of and all that all that fun stuff. Not fun, but you know, um. I just, I think, you know, once you, once you get hit with something like that, you shouldn't be able to recover or you just, you should take that as your exit. You know what I mean? You had a good run, you got in trouble and now it's time to move on. You know, those men, they've made so much money. Yeah. And they got away with so much and you know what I mean? It's like, just go somewhere and like, you don't have to be... Just call, go call it quits while you're out. Exactly. Yeah. Get out while you can, you know, and just leave it be. You don't need to come back. So I think it, uh, the whole situation just sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, it sucks. Uh, it sucks. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to end it uh, as we always do with the box office roundup, uh, the recap from this past week. Uh, of course, Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, managed to dethrone Disney 
uh, for like the first time in a while for Disney. Uh, well, I guess since Spider Man, because Spider Man is not, not Disney, Disney. technically. <laughs> it bugs me that that it still has the big Marvel name uh, slapped on it, but yes, it's not Disney. But Hobbs and Shaw came in, debuted number one domestically, made sixty mil uh, over the weekend. Uh, Lion King was in second place uh, with thirty eight mil, brings its total up to. Guys, anybody know what it what its total is now domestically? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like a hundred and eighty or something mil. Actually, I think it's, it's more than. Good. I think it's over two hundred. I'm um, pretty sure it made one hundred and eighty in its first weekend. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's way. I think it might even be over three hundred a mil domestic. I I don't know. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, and I don't care it's enough at, to. It's at three or it's at three hundred or it's close to. It's right yeah. around there. We'll we'll just like we'll 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 uh. We're rounding up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That works. I don't. I, I. We're ballparking it. There we go. We're ballparking yeah. it at three hundred. Yeah, I am. I am incapable of caring less about the Lion King. Y'all know how I felt about that film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Once upon a time came in third place with a uh, solid twenty mil. Uh, there brings their total up to like seventy-five mil, somewhere around there. Uh, they should cross a hundred mil. Uh, it's but it's already Tarantino's biggest. Um, uh, a most successful film that he's ever released so that's why i think that he'll be making a lot more uh spider-man which is of course not disney uh was in fourth place with 7.7 mil and rounding out the top for the five. audience wondering i literally put not disney in bold in letters bold. next to spider-man <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i think in, in the previous episodes i have referred to it as disney property without thinking um but yes it is not disney it is sony not Disney. Uh, <laughs> uh, but in fifth place is a Disney film. Toy Story 4 continues to uh, rake in uh, rake in that money. Uh, now it's made 7.2 mil this weekend. Um, hey, hey, guys, do you want, do you want to know what the, what the trend is with, uh, with most of that list there? The bottom four are movies that Joe hated. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Actually, yeah, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I I did. There's well, one movie you loved and four movies that you did not. Well, I all right. I kind of like Toy Story four. I hated the ending of Toy Story four. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But that I liked, was that was our fight. Yeah, the ending was not okay. The ending is not. That, that, okay. That's fair. But the rest of it was fine, and which is better than can be said about either Spider Man Once Upon a Time or The Lion King. <laughs> Screw The Lion King. I hate I hate it. I don't like any of that one. That's <laughs> uh, not true. You like Timon and Pumbaa. I did. I did. Yeah. And I'm looking at a picture of Timon and Pumbaa and I'm, uh, my heart's melting a little bit. My stone cold heart. They're so cute. Um, well, yeah, I'm like, I'm like the Grinch that my, my little heart expanded a little bit, right? When I looked at a picture of Timon and Pumbaa. Um, but a trend between two of those five films is that they are owned by Disney. uh, And that is the last bit of news that we have this week. Uh, oh, in the last two weeks, Disney has already passed or surpassed its own box office record for most ticket sales in a single year. Um, if you notice, it's August, and they've already surpassed their box office record for most ticket sales in a single year. So it's safe thank to you, su- Endgame. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Endgame. And it's safe to assume that they will completely obliterate that that record. Though I'm trying to think what other major Disney films. Frozen 2. Oh, yeah. yep. Yep, there's that. There's Frozen 2. Frozen 2 is going to make a ridiculous amount of money. 
Whoop, uh, there it is. Uh, whoop. <laughs> is, there, is there anything else? Is there any other... Uh, there's no other Marvel movie coming out this year. Mm-mm. Um. Oh, 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 oh. Um, Star Wars Episode Nine. Yeah, I was oh, gonna say yeah. there's a Star Wars. Uh, there's mm. a Star Wars, and that that yeah. one that one's gonna make a ton of money too. Yep, they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna. This is gonna. So be... we got Frozen Two and Star Wars Episode Nine. So that, yeah, I think they'll be okay, and I don't think they'll break this record for a while. Yeah, I don't think just, they'll. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they had previously said it in 2016, um, which would have. I'm trying to think of what major besides all the Marvel films that would have been that year to contribute to it. Uh, Beauty and the Beast was in there, um, I think. I want to say Rogue One came out that year. Yeah, I think that was an off-kilter off year. Yeah. Yeah, that was Rogue One. Um, yeah, but still, they've already surpassed that, that line, and now they're just going to put it in the dust by, like, a couple billion, probably. <laughs> Just a casual billion or two, you know, it'd be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or three. Probably be three or four between Frozen Frozen and and uh, Episode 9. Both will easily surpass a billion dollars. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's all speculative. And uh, we'll see. But in the meantime, uh, anyone else have any parting thoughts before we uh, wrap up this week? I'm good. You good? Good. Spider-Man's not Disney. Okay, thanks, Peter. Maybe. <laughs> no problem. That's all I got. All right. <laughs> all right. And on that note, uh, we will end this week and say thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back here again in three weeks. We'll see you all on the 26th when we will talk about a whole bunch of stuff. I know I'm going to get a cool screening of the Peanut Butter Falcon uh, that I'll get to talk about. And so um, jealous. Yeah, I get the I get a Q and A with the one of the producers uh, after my screening. That such that'll be really cool. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah. Go Cincinnati. So <laughs> yeah, well uh, we'll be, we'll talk about Boo. that. Hey, ye, yeah, you know. <laughs> hey, I'm going to I'm anyway. Going, anyway, I'm going to L.A. twice here in the next four weeks. So. I'll, I'll be talking about that as well. Um, have plenty of stuff to uh, uh, talk about uh, to talk about then. But we'll see you in three weeks. And until then, peace out.